the Daily Burn, I'm Keshav Thadimeti, and this is In the Know. This time on the podcast, we revisit a moving story from Fall Quarter, a piece about Westwood's homeless population, specifically those who need medical help but don't want it. Fall Quarter is over, and winter break is in full swing. Mariah Carey is blasting from nearly every shopping center, and talk of Christmas deals and warm sugary drinks fill the air. Winter break is when a lot of students can decompress and escape Westwood's grueling quarter system. For some, though, staying in Westwood isn't an option. Leaving it isn't either. In 2017, Westwood was home to nearly 40 homeless individuals. The year before, Westwood officials counted 33 homeless individuals. These residents often take shelter on streets such as Broxton Avenue and Westwood Boulevard, bundling up to fight the cold. Hundreds of others in Los Angeles will be doing the same this holiday season and other parts of the city because officials have struggled to address the many causes and effects of homelessness. Today, though, we take a look at a subset of that population, a subset California labels as, quote, the gravely disabled. To do that, I talked to someone who reported on this topic for the better part of Fall Quarter. Hi, I'm Teddy Rosenbluth, and I'm the Daily Bruin Science and Health Editor. Usually I start off the podcast with a couple of warm-up questions, and then we go into the meaty subject matter. For this podcast, though, everything seems really meaty. So I want to start off with the title of the podcast, The Gravely Disabled. What does that phrase mean, and where does it come from? So gravely disabled is a term that officials have to prove in order to institutionalize someone. So basically, in legal terms, this means that someone can't provide food, water, or shelter for themselves because of a mental illness. Um, And this was part of the Lanterman-Petrus Act, um, which was passed in 1967, um, which was kind of a reaction to uh, mass institutionalization in California, um, a way to kind of hold people accountable and um, have more of a process for institutionalizing people. With that said, I want to jump into the center of this podcast, which is talking about the reporting that you've been doing. So usually in the No podcasts are about something in the news, something relevant to the news cycle, but this time we're doing something special. We're pegging this to the Daily Bruins quarterly magazine called Prime. The story you've written for this quarter's Prime magazine is about a subset of the population that is homeless, has a mental illness, and has a medical condition. And you've been reporting on this since the beginning of the quarter. So I want to start off with, how did you find the story? Right, so initially I thought the story was going to be very different from what it ended up being. I thought that the biggest issue um, in Westwood, in that Westwood homeless population, would be that there wasn't enough resources. I feel like that's what a lot of people think is the major problem. Basically, if you have enough you know, beds, if you have enough medical resources, there wouldn't be an issue. But in my reporting, I actually found that, at least in Westwood, there are lots of resources. The issue is getting people to accept these resources because of um, mental illnesses. So I would walk around with Donovan Wilkes, which is the outreach specialist in Westwood who was hired about a year ago. Um, He walks around at 5.30 in the morning checking on the regulars, and he would point out, you know, Oh, you know, there he has, you know, a tumor in the back of his head. You know, she can't stand without stabilizing herself. And he would say, you know, I keep trying to get them resources, but every time they decline. And so 
he has all these resources. The real issue is getting people to accept them. And he, he said he's called people to come out and talk to them, say, can you, you know, do you want to come get housing? And every time they say, no, thank you, I'm fine. So what you're saying is that you've sort of been following Westwood's outreach specialist who's in charge of helping the homeless population in the village and the neighborhood. And when he goes around trying to help individuals, they decline his help. Yeah, that's correct. Could you sort of walk us through some of the instances that you saw? Like, how are the interactions between the people Wilk spoke to and the homeless individuals who, at least from what Wilk seems to be saying, clearly needed help but didn't want it? Yeah, so I think um, the best example of this is Miss Mary. Miss Mary has been on the streets of Westwood for as long as anyone can remember. Um, I think she's been there the longest out of any of the homeless individuals there. She's an elderly woman, um, and she has pretty severe medical issues as well. Her legs are extremely swollen. She can't walk without stabilizing herself with a shopping cart. Um, and she's developed uh, some skin issues. And he's tried every morning. He says, Miss Mary, you know, do you want some help? Do you want these resources? She's not rude, you know, but she's very clear in saying, no, thank you. And although she's not formally diagnosed, a lot of people um, think she has paranoid schizophrenia. She talks a lot about, you know, the government preventing her from going to her house and so on and so forth. There was one instance in which she wasn't responsive when people tried to wake her in the morning and Donovan got this call and he was you know he automatically went to oh my god she's dead you know because this is this is something he constantly worries about all the time he told me and so he ran down there and she was awake but she couldn't really walk her legs were so incredibly swollen she couldn't you know stand up without you know leaning on Donovan and he called the ambulance and he was thinking the whole time like please accept help, please accept help. The paramedics arrived. They said, do you want help? She said, no, thank you, I'm fine. How are you going to walk? I'm fine. And so she's still out there. When, when I talk to her, she always says, you know, I got to get off the streets. I have to go home. You know, people steal her blankets. It's not, not fun, but because of her mental illness, she really can't get these resources. How many individuals like Miss Mary would you fathom that there are in Westwood, at least? The ones that I've seen, probably five or six. I'm sure there are more like this. These are, I mean, just in the limited time that I've had to go out into Westwood, those are the cases that I've seen. There are other outreach specialists in other parts of the city. And how effective have they been in helping people like Miss Mary get the medical care that at least they appear to need? Yeah, so I've talked to not just, you know, outreach specialists like Donovan, but also medical professionals who... I talked to one woman who said she can predict when people are going to die, you know, whether it be in the next week or next six months, and there's literally nothing she can do about it, you know, because these people won't accept the help. And this is where you kind of get into the debate of should we help people against their will, which is uncomfortable, but the debate that a lot of people are struggling with. And what sort of been the stance that the city, or at least the state government, has taken in this debate? So the Los Angeles supervisors um, kind of agreed to um, encourage California, because this is a state law, um, encourage California to make an amendment to the Lanterman-Petrus Act to expand the definition of gravely disabled um, to include the people that can't get medical attention. 
The bill went through the state assembly with very little opposition, but it ended up stopping in the state Senate before it was even presented because of some practicality issues. I think right now, in terms of the morality of the bill, many people are in favor of it. The largest issue is practical concerns, but I think in lower levels, not like government, people are concerned that this will start to infringe on people's basic right to deny care, which is really dangerous considering California's history of institutionalizing people that didn't need to be institutionalized. You mentioned something about practicality concerns. Could you touch a bit more on that? Yeah. So basically, expanding the definition of gravely disabled would allow officials to institutionalize many more people. The issue is where are these people going to go, right? Um, There's already pressure on the mental health system. Um, People already have to go from mental health care facilities um, to, you know, kind of these waiting grounds in ER facilities, which are not ideal places for for people with mental illness to to wait for for treatment. Um, And so the concern is that without providing more resources to to the mental health care system in California, this would just flood the system with people without having anywhere to put them. As I understand it, you also spoke to state officials. What is the the sort of sense you got from speaking to them about their stance on this bill or just the general debate surrounding involuntarily institute somebody into a hospital or medical facility? So I think this debate kind of gets at two fundamental rights that many Americans believe in. It's kind of this right to deny care um, and the right to live. Historically, I think a lot of officials have seen um, this bill kind of as a pendulum swinging between these two um, these two rights. You know, uh, before the Lanterman-Petrus Act, I think many people thought it swung way too far to the right to live and in the process, you know, completely absolved everyone of choice. Um, but now I think many people are worried that it's swinging too far in the other direction and we're allowing people to die in the streets when there could have easily been medical intervention that could have saved their lives. I think the hope for all of the people who are in favor of expanding this bill, the hope is that they want people after they get help to say, you know, wow, thank you, I really wanted that and I wish someone had done that maybe even sooner. The danger is that you don't know that people would want that. And so you're kind of making this assumption that people would want care when you're not entirely sure. So what's sort of been the tactic that outreach specialists have used to, I guess, basically do their jobs if homeless individuals don't want their help or don't want the services the city is offering to them? Yeah, I think unfortunately, it's kind of devolved into begging almost. I mean, I know Dr. Susan Partovi, a family medicine doctor who works at UCLA, but she's also worked on the streets um, helping homeless individuals for about 15 years. was saying she would offer people cigarettes. She would say, please, I'll buy you this. I'll buy you food. Will you please get medical help? I know in, in the case of Miss Mary, you know, Donovan has tried everything. Um, he's really worried about her just on a human level. 
he really cares about her. And it's really hard to watch someone that you see every day, um, their health just deteriorate and there's literally nothing you can do to stop it. I think more than anything for these outreach specialists, it's an internal debate. I know Donovan struggles a lot with this question because, you know, it's his job to make sure these people are safe. But he also is very aware of people's rights and he doesn't want to say, oh, just because that person has a mental illness, they can't choose these things for it. For themselves. So I don't think it's the homeless individuals that are saying, you can't take away my right to choose to deny care. You know, I think it's very much an internal conflict. And he's very hesitant to call the Department of Mental Health to have someone institutionalized. Although I know in Miss Mary's case, he has done that. In your piece, you you talk about interaction you had with Miss Mary. Um, can you walk us through a bit? Like, how was the experience? What What was it like? What did she have you do? How was the conversation? Yeah, Miss Mary is a really nice lady. You know, I've kept in contact with her even after I finished reporting this story. Um, she's from uh, the East Coast. You know, she says she was in banking. Uh, the details are a little fuzzy there. But, um, you know, she's not, you know, what you would think of as crazy. You know, she's really a kind person and... You know, I would go down there, I would go and get her coffee because she can't, she has trouble walking across the street. It takes her a long time. And, you know, we would chat for a bit. I think over time, she kind of started to expect me and Amy, the um, our photographer, to be there. And she, <laughs> I, I ran into her in front of CVS. That's where she panhandles in the day. And I was like picking up a prescription. And I was like, hi, Miss Mary, what have you been up to? And she's like, oh, just looking for you guys. <laughs> you know, like, she's really a nice woman, which makes it so much harder to see this happen to her. You know, it has, it's been getting worse. And I think everyone, in- including the other homeless individuals in Westwood, are really worried about her. You know, they try to give her blankets. The other homeless individuals, they give her anything extra that they have. She says, no, thank you. I'm fine. She'll throw, she'll give it to someone else, you know? So it's it's really hard, especially knowing her on a, on a personal level. And I can see why Donovan has this internal conflict. He did something that a lot of students usually wouldn't do. You interacted with people who are homeless who either are staying the night in Westwood or, you know, are staying the day in Westwood and interacting with members of the community. What are some of the misconceptions that I guess you've seen that people in Westwood have, or even students in Westwood have about the homeless population here, or even just like they have about this debate regarding involuntary hospitalization and providing medical care to those who need it? I think a lot of misconceptions in terms of this debate is that it's very easy to say like, oh, we should protect these people's freedom of choice, you know, that's a fundamental right, you know, that sort of thing. It's a lot harder to interact with many of these individuals on an individual level and, you know, start get to know them and have to watch their health deteriorate. Um, And I know this is a criticism a lot of people I talk to have of the people who are against this bill. They say, well, they don't really have a first person perspective. They don't know how it really is. And I think that's true. Um, I don't think that negates their argument, but it's a lot easier said than done. 
we started off the podcast looking at the title, The Gravely Disabled. Did you see anybody who was gravely disabled in your reporting? So a question I've thought about a lot, and I know Donovan has too, If is if Miss Mary would be one of those people that, you know, after being institutionalized, she would come back and say, thank you so much. You know, I like I d- didn't like living on the street, you know, that sort of thing. And I don't really know the answer to that, but I do think Miss Mary does want to live. I don't think she wants to die on the street. This is kind of what Donovan has told me, but she still panhandles, you know, she still gets up in the morning. She doesn't just sit there, you know. So that makes me think that she still wants to live and I I would I would hope she would want to get better, but it's impossible to know. Clearly there's a catch-22 here. On one hand, mental illnesses directly contribute to people who are homeless and and their chances of potentially dying. And the state, not to mention the public, is sort of worried about this. But on the other hand, though, some of these individuals refuse care and policymakers don't want to infringe on their individual rights. Is there a resolution to this sort of dichotomy? I don't really have a great answer to this question. I think this is the question that everyone is struggling with. Um, I know a lot of people think that this bill is going to be reintroduced um, later this year. Um, And it's hard to balance these two rights that are kind of fundamental to, you know, being an American, you know. And I don't know, I kind of like the analogy of of a pendulum, you know. It kind of just swings back and forth because... They're kind of two identical forces pulling on it, and I I think that'll leave it in constant motion. Thank you, Teddy. You're welcome, Keishaw. That's it for this week's In The Know podcast. We'll be back winter quarter with a new set of podcasts and a new set of topics. Got any ideas in the meantime for what we should talk about for a future show? Let us know at opinion at dailybird.com. From The Daily Burn, I'm Keshav Thadimeti, and this is In The Know.